Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. Father Christian jokingly one time says to his friend Muhammad, you know, what are we going to find at the bottom of our well? Are we going to find Christian water or Muslim water? And Muhammad said, it's God's water, and we're trying to uncover it together. On today's show, Finding Jesus Among Muslims. Our guest, Jordan Daneri Duffner, explains how friendships with those of the Islamic faith have brought her closer to her own practice of Catholicism. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Jordan Daneri Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. She's an associate of the Bridge Initiative, where she previously worked as a research fellow studying Islamophobia, and she's a former Fulbright researcher in Amman, Jordan. She's currently a Ph.D. student in theology and religious studies at Georgetown University. She's the author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Made Me a Better Catholic, published by Liturgical Press in late 2017. Jordan Denary Duffner, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd like to start with a Catholic document that you reference several times in the book. It's a document called Nostra Aetate, and I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. But for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the documents of Vatican II, what was this document and why is it important as a way of setting the stage for what we're going to talk about today? Nostra Aetate, as you mentioned, was a document that came out of the Second Vatican Council in the mid-1960s, and it talks about the Catholic Church's orientation or attitude towards those of different religious traditions. It talks about the Jewish community, it talks about Muslims, it talks about Buddhists and those of other faith traditions as well. And the approach that it takes is a really positive one. It points out the similarities that we have with those of other religious traditions, And it also calls on Catholics and those everywhere to avoid stereotypes, to avoid religious bigotry. This was, you know, only about 20 years after the Holocaust. And so the Church was really grappling with the fact that Christianity, in in some shape or form, had been deployed against the Jewish people in the Holocaust and, and throughout history. And so the Catholic Church in Nostra Aetate is trying to say, we're taking a new approach to different religious communities and different religious traditions. And so for the section on Muslims in particular, the third paragraph, it's, it's a very short document, only five paragraphs. And in the portion about Muslims, the Council Fathers drew out many of the similarities that Catholics and Muslims share, and it praises things about Muslims. It, it says, first and foremost, the Church holds Muslims in high regard, or we treat Muslims with, with high esteem. And that's supposed to, I think, guide the way that we as Catholics and Christians and all people approach our Muslim brothers and sisters and people of all faiths. 
this really sets the framework for how you go about dealing with these questions in your own book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims. And so as a way of getting into the book, let's start out by talking a little bit about your background. So you are a Christian. Tell my listeners a little bit about what your growing up and your Christian experience was like prior to your beginning to encounter Muslims in a dedicated way. Sure. I grew up in a Catholic Christian community in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, The majority of my family is Catholic. I grew up going to Catholic school, Catholic grade school, and I also went to Jesuit high school, um, in a co-ed Jesuit high school in Indianapolis. And so I was very steeped in and immersed in American Catholicism uh, throughout my young life. I grew up learning all of the typical prayers that uh, a Catholic child will learn, uh, going to rosary every Friday, going to mass with my classmates every Wednesday. I was an altar server. I always really enjoyed the mystery and the symbolism of the mass. I uh, always, I think, was a, was a curious child and was was interested in, in questions relating to God. But I didn't have much exposure to people of other religious traditions growing up. My Part of my family was Protestant Christian, but other than that, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to people of other faiths. And, you know, in some ways, I think that the, um, you know, in the post-9-11 climate, that was when Islam as a religious tradition sort of first came into um, the public imagination, and, and, and mine as well. I was in fifth grade when, when 9-11 happened, and so... You know, my first exposure to, you know, the Middle East or the Arab world and this religion of Islam was probably, like many Americans, uh, quite negative. But slowly and surely I became more uh, curious about this other religious tradition. And that, in many ways, happened at a time where I was feeling disillusioned with my own Catholic background and Catholic community. I had I was curious and, and steeped in this religious tradition that I'd grown up in, but the school that I was going to and the community that I was in wasn't really entertaining from the deeper questions that I had. And so that's in many ways what prompted my, my journey into the Islamic tradition. And so from there, from your high school experience, you mentioned 9-11 happening sort of in middle school and that forming some stereotypes. From there, you go to Georgetown University, and it mentions in the book that you study theology, international affairs, and Arabic. And my sense is that there's a story behind that three-part approach to your college studies. But tell me a little bit about when you go to Georgetown, what your experiences are like, and how that begins to shape your changed understanding of Islam. When I got to Georgetown, I quickly, and and not with any active intention, I became friends with a number of Muslim students on campus. And that experience of actually getting to know Islam from Muslims was really important, and it was a, an important supplement to what I was learning in the classroom, my Arabic courses every day and my other classes related to Islam in the Middle East. From there, I received a different picture of Islam than the one that is often portrayed in the media. I saw the dedication that my Muslim friends had to prayer. I was really inspired by the sense of community that the Muslim students had. They came together during the month of Ramadan every night for dinners, and that was something that I really admired. And all of these experiences didn't jive with the stereotypes and the portrayal that was coming through in the media. And and when I 
originally came to Georgetown, I, I knew that those sorts of stereotypes were things that I wanted to address through my education in some way or another, because late in high school, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in, in the next step of my journey, I had received a chain email from a very close family friend in my Catholic community, and it was an anti-Muslim chain message that spouted off a lot of the same stereotypes about Muslims that we were often used to hearing in the media. And I didn't know a lot of Muslims at the time. That was before I had gone to Georgetown. It was before I went to Jordan. But I, I knew a, a couple kids from the high school that I went to. And for some reason, that email just really lit a fire in me. And I, I talk about it as a vocational moment because I realized that this Catholic community that I love so much and that I have grown up in has become susceptible to views of Muslims that don't jive with our faith. You know, it was only later that I came across this document, Nostra Aetate, which talks about the approach that we should have to Muslims. But it was these sorts of experiences that came together in many ways to inform what I ended up studying in, in undergrad, what I ended up doing in my years working full-time at the Bridge Initiative and my work today, and ultimately the, the book, too. All of these things have propelled that, that direction of my journey. So when you got to Georgetown, you had been schooled in Catholic education and you had been raised in a Catholic community, would you have described yourself at that time as a person who was strong in your faith, or were you a person who was questioning? I would probably describe myself at that time as someone who was questioning. It wasn't that I had lost a desire for God and for a spiritual relationship with the divine. It was just that I didn't feel like my Catholic community and my Catholic faith was providing me that at that time. So I was in a, a period of exploration, and it was through dialogue with my Muslim friends and my experience in the Middle East that in some ways propelled me back to practicing and embracing that Catholicism in, in a new way. When I was an undergrad, a Muslim friend of mine, another Christian friend and myself, we would get together every week to have conversations about faith and religion. And I never left my Catholic faith, but I didn't feel as strongly attached to it at the time, but what came out in those sorts of conversations was that I really was coming from that perspective, that I really was coming to those conversations with that history of growing up Catholic and with that in my imagination and in my background and in my mind and the way I thought about things. And so the experience of dialogue, I think, woke me up more to the fact that this was an important part of, of my life and was something that I did appreciate. At the same time, I grew to deeply appreciate things about the Muslim tradition as well, and I have felt deeply enriched by my encounter with not only Muslim friends, but also their religious tradition, too. Well, let me make sure that I have this clear, because my recollection of my college years, I could barely make it out of bed and get to class on time, but you very intentionally, every week, were getting together it, like an appointment to have these conversations. Do I have that right? My freshman year, yeah, we scheduled that into our week every Wednesday. And, you know, with people's schedules, things get busy. But in one way or another, I tried to carve out that time to have those sorts of conversations with friends, whether in formal or informal settings. And whose idea was that? Was that something that you came up with or one of your other friends? You know, I can't remember. I feel like it was sort of a joint decision in many ways. I think in informal conversations, we probably realized, oh, there are similarities or differences here that would be really interesting to engage in a more intentional way, and let's set aside some time to talk about these things. I remember one time our Muslim friend was reading something from the Quran about Abraham and, you know, that story, 
the Protestant Christian friend who was in the group, who was much more familiar with the Bible than I as a Catholic was, pulled up the story from the Bible, and it just matched up almost perfectly. And these are just things that, that we as Christians in the United States are not familiar with, these similarities that we have, you know, in terms of the characters in our respective scriptures, but, you know, other things, too, with Muslims. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. We're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. We're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. During your college years, do I understand correctly that you made a decision to study abroad and you chose to study in Jordan? Is that correct? I did, yes. And tell me about how that came about and what your experience was when you arrived in Jordan. Well, obviously people recognize that my first name is also Jordan, and so it, it in many ways is a funny coincidence that I decided to study abroad in a country that also shares my name. And, and I won't lie, that that did make me curious to, to, uh, to choose that country in some ways to, to see what I might find in the country that bears the name that I do. But I originally decided to study abroad there because it was the one country that was open to students for studying abroad where I could live with a host family. And for me, it was really important that I be able to live with a host family wherever I was studying abroad and have that experience as close to a, you know, an authentic experience as possible. I wanted a country and an experience as well where I could learn the language and put into practice what I'd been learning up to that point. I'd been studying Arabic for three years. I knew that it wasn't until I had the opportunity to use it in daily life that it would hopefully flourish. My experience in Jordan was a really enriching one. I tell people that the overwhelming experience or the overwhelming thing that I take away from my time there was the sense of hospitality people always inviting me in for tea, families sitting together, drinking tea, watching television, having conversations. I made a number of friends when I was there the first time studying abroad and then also when I went back after I graduated from college. I, I, you know, I made friends just from meeting people on the street, meeting people in my neighborhood, meeting people out at coffee shops and folks were very welcoming and occasionally I would get into conversations about religion with the people that I met, both Christian and Muslim. And I felt that in Jordan, which is a Muslim majority society, that I was able to live out my faith life very well. I felt like I as a Christian was able to live out my faith in a way that was supported. I multiple times a day I would hear the Islamic call to prayer, which for me was something really new to have everyone in the city here at the same times every day, this reminder to pause and reflect and pray and think about God was something really powerful and moving. And, you know, this is something that is being echoed from the minarets of mosques. But for me as a Christian, 
it also reminded me to stop and be grateful and reflect on where God was in my day. And so despite the fact that I was in a a Muslim-majority country, I felt that I, as a Christian, grew in my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus while I was there. I was also really enriched by my experience of Christianity in the Middle East as well. I would go to Mass in Arabic and would also see the different ways that Christianity in the Middle East is expressed and lived out, which was a wonderful and new experience for me as well. Well, your host family that you mentioned, were they a Muslim host family or were they a Christian host family? What was their characteristic? They were a Christian host family. And so that was not something that I expected when I went to live in a Muslim-majority country. I thought I would be with a Muslim family, but I actually got placed with a Roman Catholic family. And so that was a surprise, but a good one, and I still keep in contact with, with them today. And so when you were there and you were immersed in this culture, you write that you felt very comfortable being Christian in Jordan. And I imagine that many of my listeners would find that surprising, if not the exact opposite of their expectation. I, I think that a lot, of, a lot of my listeners probably expect that there's a lot of oppression against Christians in Muslim-majority countries. That wasn't my experience in Jordan. You know, certainly all of us are familiar with things that we hear on the news, you know, in portions of Iraq and in Syria and elsewhere where Christians have been subjected to really horrible things at the hands of folks like ISIS, and then that's what I think colors our picture of the Middle East the most from our perspective here in the United States. But Christianity has a, and Judaism as well, have a long and deep history in the Middle East. And in the country of Jordan in particular, the country really prides itself on its long history of Muslim-Christian coexistence. And so when you drive around the city of Amman, the capital, you will see churches and you will hear church bells ring. And so when I lived with my host family, I lived right down the street from this large, iconic blue mosque. And then there were two churches, one right across the street and then one down the street just a little bit. So it was this beautiful symbolism of the history of Muslim-Christian coexistence in Jordan, which still endures to this day. There are, you know, as with with, um, any place, there are struggles, there are difficulties, I think, especially with some of the issues going on in neighboring countries. There's a lot of fear in a place like Jordan among Christians who might be concerned that that sort of thing would come to Jordan. That was something that I noticed while I was there. But the situation in Jordan is very different to the sorts of images that we're accustomed to seeing and hearing in the news here in the United States. And so you have this experience studying abroad, but you also write that when you're at Georgetown here in the United States, you're intentionally seeking out opportunities to be in dialogue with Muslims. And so you mentioned the the weekly meeting that you had your freshman year, but you also seek out a Muslim chaplain there on the Georgetown campus. You directly engage in friendships with Muslims. Tell me a little bit about that experience here in the United States of encountering Muslims and Muslim culture. So when I was at Georgetown, I was involved in activities and relationships with the Muslim community in a lot of different respects. And I think Georgetown also is a really unique sort of Catholic school where interreligious dialogue is in many ways the norm. Our chaplains in the dorms at Georgetown are not only Catholic or Christian, but they're also Muslim and Jewish and from other different religious traditions. We actually just hired our first, the first ever full-time Hindu chaplain in the United States at Georgetown. As you mentioned, I would go to 
events hosted by the Muslim chaplain who lived in my dorm. Actually, I did that for a number of years because we had a number of Muslim chaplains. I was involved in the Muslim Students Association. For a while, I was actually a member of the board. I would still go to events, go to Friday prayer services. And then the second portion of my time during undergrad, I led the interfaith organization at Georgetown, trying to create opportunities for those sorts of conversations that we were talking about earlier, those informal conversations about faith and spirituality and the way people bring those things into their daily lives. I wanted to try to facilitate that for more students. You know, there are so many things, I guess, that I took away from my encounters with Muslim students on campus, and I continue to take away from my experiences and my relationships with Muslim friends. But I guess the first I would mention is just the diversity. A lot of non-Muslim Americans assume that the majority of American Muslims are Arab or from the Middle East, but that's actually a minority of Muslims in the United States. In the U.S., you have many, many Muslims who are African American, who are from South Asia. You have people who are white and Latino converts to Islam. So Islam in the United States is incredibly diverse, and for me, I have been a witness to much of that diversity at Georgetown and in my relationship since then. Well, and you mentioned just a moment ago this phrase, interfaith, and you said that you were the convener of the interfaith organization there on the Georgetown campus for a couple of years. For our listeners who may have encountered this word, interfaith, I imagine that there's a lot of different opinions about what that word means. When you use that word, how do you intend it to be understood? question. So at Georgetown, the group that existed when I was an undergrad simply intended to be an organization that could facilitate relationships between people of different faith backgrounds or of no faith background or of people who were interested in religion or who were seeking a new or, or deepened sense of identity. I think when the Catholic Church uses the word interreligious, which is the word that the Catholic Church normally uses, they're also talking about the relationship that Catholics have to people of other religious traditions. I realize that lots of different people have different definitions of this word, but for me, I guess at the most basic level, what I, uh, when I use it, I mean engaging with people of different religious backgrounds or ba- religious backgrounds that are different from one's own, obviously realizing that there's other ways that people define that as well. So as I hear you describing all of these things, so you go to Georgetown and you begin seeking out opportunities for dialogue across religious difference. You make an intentional act of going to Amman, Jordan, to live amongst people of a different faith. I'm hearing an intentionality and almost a vocation here that is forming very clearly. Was your experience of this as clear as that? Like, this is the direction that I want to go. I want to be in dialogue and I want to be creating opportunities for dialogue. Or did you sort of feel it out as you were going along? That's a great question. I do feel like it was a vocation. The the anecdote that I brought up earlier, the the story of receiving that, that chain email from the Catholic family friend, I feel like that was a vocational moment for me. It was strange how much in that moment I did feel called to do this sort of work. From a Catholic perspective, obviously, you know, I have grappled and struggled with my faith during that time, as I talk about and as we've talked about previously. But for me, receiving that chain email from the very close Catholic family friend, reading in that message this anti-Muslim sentiment, but then also realizing that this came from someone who, like me, really valued what our Catholic faith teaches 
you know, I felt that I needed to devote my work and my career to bridging these sorts of gaps between Catholics and Muslims or Christians more broadly and Muslims. It's very much what has, you know, inspired this book and has inspired a lot of the work that we've been talking about so far. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. We're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. We'll be back in a moment. signs of hope in the Chicagoland education scene? Bright Promise Fund for Urban Christian Education serves 15 schools in Chicago and nearby suburbs with scholarship funding for students and families in search of quality, faith-based educational options. Visit brightpromisefund.org to learn more about schools where students flourish. Good schools make for good neighborhoods. brightpromisefund.org. That's brightpromisefund.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. And we're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. So I want to raise now a narrative that I think is very much present in our current political discourse, and it's the clash of cultures narrative, the notion that somehow Islamic culture and Western culture are incompatible And so, first of all, since you've lived in both of these cultures, I want to ask you the question of how you've experienced that narrative being understood on both sides of the divide, the Islamic culture side and the Western culture side. And then I'd like to ask your criticisms of that narrative. But let's start, first of all, with how you've experienced it here in the United States and there in Amman, Jordan. I think in the United States, the appeal of that narrative to Christians or to secular people is confirmed by what they see in the media and by their lack of relationship with people who are Muslim. I think it's really easy to buy into that sort of a narrative when your only experience of Muslims is of people who are doing violent things that you see on the news or whose dress appears different than yours or those sorts of things. In the Middle East, my experience was that it I didn't see people hanging on to that narrative quite as much in the same way that folks here in the West might. I do think that among some in the Middle East, there is a real frustration over Western incursion, military incursion in the region. In some ways, that is what fuels some discontent with the West or with Western influence in the Middle East. I also, though, did see this clash of civilizations narrative at work in some of the Christian television programming that I saw when I was in the Middle East, when I actually went back to Jordan the second time, I was there to do research on Arabic language Christian television media that 
was not only attempting to speak to Christian audiences in the Middle East, but also to convert Muslims. And they were very much employing this narrative of a clash between Christianity and Islam. I guess not to evaluate the... Um, evaluate that claim or that narrative, I think it's very simplistic. And in order to buy into it, you have to ignore a whole lot of other things that are going on. You have to ignore the myriad of examples of coexistence between Muslims and Christians or Muslims in the West. I mean, even this dichotomy that we set up, I think, is a false one because Islam has a deep, deep history in Europe. Christianity has a deep, deep history in the Middle East. I think when we don't see those examples of coexistence or we don't know that history, it's a lot easier for us to be susceptible to that narrative. And I think looking more specifically at Catholics and Muslims, I think there are so many things that we share, and I think there are approaches that we take to life and living our faith in the world that are really similar. I always, when I'm talking about, you know, headscarves to a Catholic audience, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, I want to point out to people that Mary, the mother of God, in every depiction we have of her is wearing a headscarf. And our religious sisters, so many of them wear headscarves. So I think sometimes the places where we see differences are not actually where, where they exist. I think we overlook many of the similarities oftentimes. Well, and you just use this word relationships and that people in the West oftentimes lack relationships with those of the Muslim faith. And because of that, they misunderstand or they form stereotypes about those of the Muslim faith. But there's another side to this, because I have evangelical friends who specifically go about engaging in relationships with Muslims, but their intention of these relationships is to find a bridge to bring the message of the Gospels and to try and convert Muslims to Christianity. Now, in your book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, you make it clear that that is expressly not your intention when you engage in yeah. these relationships. But I, on behalf of my evangelical listeners, I have to ask you, why not? Isn't that what you're supposed to do as a good Christian? I talk in, in the introduction to my book about the way the Catholic Church talks about evangelization and the ways in which dialogue and proclamation, which is, I guess, the more specific term for sharing the gospel with Muslims fit into the church's broader mission of evangelization. And I see dialogue and proclamation as two separate, essential parts of the church's mission. But I don't think that, and I think a lot of Catholics would agree with me on this, that dialogue isn't only done in service of proclamation. At the same time, I think dialogue does involve us obviously talking about our religious tradition. It's not that we're hiding who we are or what we believe. One of the metaphors that I use in the book to talk about dialogue is this idea of digging a well to God together. I see dialogue as this joint effort that we have to journey towards God and journey with God, with people of different religious traditions. And Muslims have something to teach me about God. I realize that that might be a, an uncomfortable notion for some of us to deal with, but I see so much beauty that's conveyed by the Islamic tradition, and I think that, like the rest of our lives as Christians, the goal is to deepen our relationship with God and with others, and dialogue is just one way that we can do that. If I recall that image from your book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, when you're talking about digging the well, if I'm remembering correctly, you ask a friend, when we dig these wells and we hit the water, is it Christian water or Muslim water? And if I'm remembering correctly, your friend answers, it's God's water. Is that right? So I borrow the story from a 
Catholic monk in Algeria and his Muslim friends. So I wasn't the one that, that had the, the experience directly, but I, I, I found it a really moving story, and that's why I included in the book the priest who uses this metaphor in his writing, Father Christian de Cherget, and he's actually, he and his brother monks were killed in Algeria in 1996, and they are actually on the, the path towards canonization now. But Father Christian and his Muslim friend Muhammad, they would often describe their interreligious conversations as digging a well to God together. And as you said, Father Christian jokingly one time says to his friend Muhammad, you know, what are we going to find at the bottom of our well? Are we going to find Christian water or Muslim water? And Muhammad said, you know better. It's, it doesn't belong to either of us. It's God's water, and we're trying to uncover it together. And so I have found that a really fruitful metaphor to use when thinking about dialogue. Now, why do you think that it is that some believers on both sides of the divide cling so strongly to those theological differences instead of those similarities? I think the problem sometimes is when people look at those doctrinal differences and assume that they automatically mean that we have a difference in values, a difference in the way that we approach life. Obviously, our beliefs do play into how we live in the world, but I think sometimes Christians will immediately jump on a difference that we have with Muslims and say, well, this means that they're so different from us in the way they see the world and the way that they live, and, and there's, there's not room for common ground. But I think that sometimes those sorts of evaluations are misguided. Now, at several points in the book, you reference a professor from Catholic Theological Union, Scott Alexander. His study of Islam and his praying among and alongside his Muslim brothers and sisters has deepened his own Catholic faith. And you reference that this also is something that has been your experience, that as you have watched and participated in Muslim prayer, you have found your own Catholic faith deepened. First of all, do I have that correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And for me, the, and I talk about this in the book with a number of examples, including some from Scott Alexander, the two things for me that, are, that really stand out are the dedication to prayer life and also the experience of community and the communal life around religion. And I, I tell this story in, in the book about how by the end of my senior year at Georgetown, I was going to nightly mass on campus probably six days a week. And, you know, it was never something I would have anticipated when I came to Georgetown as a freshman, very skeptical about my Catholicism. And, you know, I I never thought I would have been one of those people that went to to daily mass because there's a certain stereotype that I had about people like that. But it was really the example of my Muslim friends and their dedication to prayer and seeing how much they benefited spiritually and, and personally from that experience that, made me think, man, I want that too. And, you know, I know that this Ignatian and Jesuit tradition that I have been so steeped in through my Jesuit education in high school and here at Georgetown has the resources for that. So I'm going to go on retreats. I'm going to learn how to do the daily exam, and I'm going to try to incorporate prayer into my daily life more often. And one of the things that was really Moving for me my senior year at Georgetown was realizing that at the same time that Catholic students were congregating for nightly Mass at 10 p.m., right in the next room over, Muslim students were congregating for their 10 p.m. communal prayer just across the walls. One of the chapels at Georgetown actually shares a wall with the Muslim prayer room. And there was one evening when I was there in Mass, and I I heard something that sounded familiar, this faint sound through the wall, and I realized that it was Quranic recitation. It was Arabic 
you know, Arabic that was being chanted as a part of the prayer. And I thought, you know, what a beautiful manifestation of the power of interreligious dialogue to really stimulate the spiritual lives of both participants. It was a really beautiful realization uh, and moment for me. Did you ever consider becoming Muslim yourself? I thought that one day I could become Muslim or I might become Muslim. It was never something that I was actively seeking out, but I wondered if maybe one day I would. So, you know, it was it was an open question. And, you know, it's not something that I'm actively contemplating now, but our spiritual lives are our journeys. And, you know, I never left my Catholic faith. I never even stopped identifying as Catholic. I Even in my moments of deep questioning, I was still pretty regular about going to Mass. But even as I've reclaimed my Catholic identity in a more conscious way, and uh, I, I have still maintained a deep appreciation for the Islamic tradition and have incorporated aspects of the Islamic tradition into my own you know, devotional practices, not necessarily in a, in a regular way, but I have, you know, artwork and books and things like that, and will sometimes find myself muttering things to myself in Arabic that come from the Islamic tradition. So that's sort of been the fruit of this experience of dialogue. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. We're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. We'll be back in a moment. So for those of you that are longtime listeners to Things Not Seen, you may be aware that I do another show called The Francis Effect with my friend Dan Haran. He's a Franciscan priest. Every couple of weeks, he and I get together to bring you commentary on current events from a perspective informed by our Catholic faith. Now, Dan, why should I be talking to you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a Franciscan friar, a Roman Catholic priest, and a professor of theology here in Chicago. And that's a good question. I have no idea why you should be talking with me. But if people are interested in what a conversation between you, the otherwise uh, respectable host of Things Not Seen, and me, the not-so-respectable Roman Catholic priest and theologian, I think they should tune in. Yeah, they should definitely tune in. So that's The Francis Effect, and you can find it at francisfxpod.com. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. We're discussing her recent book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Has the papacy of Francis changed in any fundamental way the way in which Catholics and, by extension, Christians have approached interreligious dialogue or are we just extending the same things that come out of documents like Nostra Aetate? I'm not sure if Pope Francis has moved things forward in a huge way in terms of doctrine or teaching. I think in many ways his approach is quite similar to John Paul II in terms of his openness to people of other religious traditions, his willingness to pray alongside them, his acknowledgement that their prayers are valid. But one of the things that I was really moved by and which may be, I think, evidence of an additional step that Pope Francis has taken, is in his encyclical Laudato Si on creation and the environment, Pope Francis actually quoted and cited a Muslim mystic from, I believe, the 16th century. I believe it was the first time that a non-Christian had ever been 
cited in a teaching document of the Catholic Church. That is significant because it means that there is wisdom and truth about the Almighty's relationship with creation that exists beyond the confines of the Church or exists beyond the bounds of Christianity. I was really surprised by that and moved by it as well. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, when they talk about Vatican II, they talk about how the style of Vatican II was really important and that even when doctrine didn't change, the way it was conveyed really makes all the difference. And I think that's how Pope Francis's papacy has been really significant. He has shown us what it means to actually live in dialogue with people of other faiths. I was so moved by his encounters with Rohingya Muslims who had fled violence in Myanmar when he met with them in Bangladesh, and he invited one of the Muslim individuals to lead a prayer that was engaged in by by himself and, and others that were there. I think he gives us a really great model. Now, I don't necessarily think that all Catholics or all um, Christians are willing to follow his example. I think even among Catholics who generally like the Pope's approach to things, there's a lot of resistance to other aspects. I think there's a lot of resistance to his approach to Muslims. I think many Christians still are, feel more comfortable hanging on to the more uh, oppositional sort of approach to Muslims rather than the very open and dialogical one that Pope Francis exemplifies. There's a phrase from your book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, that struck me when I read it and stayed with me. It's the phrase where you say, countless times God has loved me through the Muslims I've met. And I just would want to ask if you would be willing to unpack that statement for my listeners. Sure. So I think, you know, one of the comments that we make often in Christian circles is seeing the image of God in others. And I have definitely seen the image of God at work in my Muslim brothers and sisters and people that I have met, people who have befriended me. I tell a few different stories in the book about some really moving experiences I've had, especially when I was in Jordan, of Muslim individuals who showed me really moving demonstrations of hospitality. When I was out in the countryside in Jordan, the first time I lived there, a few American friends and I were going to a historic site to look at some old ruins, and we were walking by the home of this woman and her family, and it was in springtime in Jordan, and the hills were bright green, and there were yellow flowers everywhere, and she sticks her head out the window, and she says, come, come in for tea, and, you know, we were strangers walking down the street, but she, she invited us in for tea, and so we sat there for the next hour with her and her children and her husband and drank tea and coffee and, and ate snacks and played with her children, and I mean, it was the simplest of, of moments. But when I left, I just was struck by her gesture of hospitality and really felt, as I said in the book, that God loved me through those people that I met, through those Muslims that welcomed me into their home. I wonder if you'd be willing to share with my listeners what it is that still causes you frustration. I think what still causes me frustration is the work that still needs to be done. I, you know, a lot of my work... Uh, nowadays focuses on how Catholics think about Muslims or how Islam is portrayed in particularly Catholic media. You know, I'm coming from this Catholic background and working in this space, and so that's something that I'm looking at a lot. And I think there's a lot of positive progress that has been made, but I still so often see people falling into these stereotypes and these really harmful ways of 
thinking about our Muslim brothers and sisters. And these things really do have consequences. I mean, we're living in a moment where anti-Muslim hate crimes are um, the highest that they have been since 2001, and where violent assaults against Muslims have been the highest that they've ever been since the FBI started keeping track. I think Christians throughout the United States have been doing a better and better job at engaging with our Muslim brothers and sisters and, and standing up against Islamophobia, whether it's at a, you know, an, an inter, Islamophobia at an interpersonal level or at a more structural, systemic level in terms of government policy, media portrayal, and things like that. But I think Catholics are still a little bit behind in making that a priority and also realizing that, you know, if we're going to really forcefully stand up for religious freedom in America, that means that we need to be on the front lines and defending our Muslim brothers and sisters and not just defending our own religious freedom in cases where we feel like that's been infringed upon. And what is it in this journey that continues to keep you hopeful? Since the book has come out, I've received so many positive messages from first fellow Catholics who have felt that what I expressed in the book was reflective of their own experience. And so it's been really exciting for me to realize how many other people out there have had similar experiences that I have had. I've also been really encouraged by the reactions and the, the feedback I've gotten from Muslim friends who also feel like what I presented in the book was a reflection of their religious tradition. You know, it's never easy or even possible to convey the breadth and the depth of a religious tradition in a book like this. You know, I always say that I can never explain to people what Catholicism is all about. So it's really unfair that, that we kind of demand this of Muslims all the time. But I have been really encouraged and heartened by the fact that Muslims have seen in the book a picture of their religious tradition that feels true to their experience of it. So those have been some recent things that have kept me hopeful in the midst of an increasing awareness that Islamophobia is a problem and an increasing dedication on the part of Christians to confront that issue. Well, Jordan Denary Duffner, I found your book to be incredibly honest and heartfelt. I also found it to be challenging at certain points. I definitely learned from it. I'm so glad that you took time today to talk to me and my listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking today with Jordan Denary Duffner. She's a Catholic writer focusing on Muslim-Christian relations and Islamophobia. She's an associate of the Bridge Initiative, where she previously worked as a research fellow studying Islamophobia, and she's also a former Fulbright researcher in Amman, Jordan. She's currently a Ph.D. student in theology and religious studies at Georgetown University. She's the author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic, published by Liturgical Press in late 2017. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keja. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. 
And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.